You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Beginning with a troubling request from Surrey RCMP. They have arrested a 48-year-old man in connection with two alleged sexual assaults at a massage clinic. And because the suspect actually worked at two clinics, they believe there might be more victims and they're asking them to come forward. Grace Key reports. Two women say they were touched inappropriately when they went to get a massage at Healthland Clinic in Surrey back in January. The two separate incidences happened a week apart at the King George Boulevard location. The man was arrested at the scene when our members attended and spoke to him. And he was given conditions not to reattend that clinic. Is the person still working here? No. The clinic manager says the man no longer works there. He was briefly employed and would occasionally provide massages at their new Westminster location. The suspect is described as a 48-year-old man. He was arrested and released on conditions pending further investigation. Charges have not been laid yet, so his name has not been released at this time. Investigators believe there may be other victims out there. The investigation is still ongoing. Uh, we believe there is good evidence, but we're looking to see if there are any further victims in this case or any further witnesses so we can strengthen what evidence we have or identify further incidents. Anyone with information into this sexual assault investigation is asked to call Surrey RCMP. Grace Key, Global News. A dangerous sex offender who was the subject of a public alert in Surrey last year has been arrested again. Coquitlam RCMP say they were notified Sunday night that Aaron Wayne Giles violated his curfew. Giles, a serial rapist, was released from prison last year. Police say the 46-year-old was taken into custody after being found in the company of a woman and allegedly carrying items he was not supposed to have. He's since been released with additional conditions and is now subject to electronic monitoring. The ongoing feud between Uber and the city of Surrey is escalating. Today, the ride-sharing giant took the city to B.C. Supreme Court, applying for an injunction against Surrey for fining its drivers. Ted Chernecki has the latest on the drama in court today. This could have been a fairly dull hearing, if not for a news conference held by Surrey's mayor on the 27th of January this year. Uber's legal team today presented a transcript as evidence to show, they said, that the mayor is being, quote, disingenuous, unquote, when he says the only reason they're handing out tickets in Surrey to ride-sharing drivers is because they don't have a business license. Every business that operates in Surrey needs to have a business license. In court, Uber said it would gladly apply for a license if they thought for a second they could get one. It pointed to an internal email by the city's superintendent saying there will be no licenses issued. And five months ago, the mayor said this. We will not be issuing any business license to ride-sharing companies in Surrey. Uber argued that that makes Surrey the one who's acting illegally and contrary to provincial legislation that supersedes municipal law. We've made it very clear that municipalities cannot block ride hailing, uh, that the only jurisdiction that can license where ride hailing operates is the passenger transportation board. A lawyer for Surrey said the mayor doesn't speak for the city, all of council does, so he can say what he wants. He also said Surrey in this case has not been stripped of its powers to grant and revoke business licenses, and despite what Uber says, it does need a license to operate in Surrey. And as for the injunction, 
He says it should not be granted because any irreparable harm that Uber is claiming is at this point purely speculative. Uber is asking the courts to force Surrey to stop ticketing ride-sharing drivers effective immediately. A decision will be handed down this Friday at 9 a.m. Ted Chernaki, Global News. The end of one car share program is leading to the expansion of another. Evo is bringing 250 more vehicles to the roads in April. The company is teasing even more expansion, also enhancing its technology to help people book vehicles more easily during peak times. Customers complete more than 10,000 trips a day using Evo. It is filling the void that ShareNow, formerly known as Car2Go, will leave as it ceases operations in North America later this month. Airbnb is changing its rental rules after a shooting in downtown Toronto last week left three people dead and two injured. The online marketplace says Canadians under the age of 25 won't be allowed to rent homes or condos in the community where they already live. The change is aimed at ending the use of short-term rentals for house parties. A Toronto man who was shot at a rented condo party is suing Airbnb for negligence. The company responding with a statement saying senseless violence has no place in the Airbnb community. For the third day in a row, the young man on trial for killing a Vancouver couple in their own home was grilled by Crown lawyers about the motive for his actions. Again, a warning, some of the details are disturbing. Rocky Rambo Wei Nam Cam was questioned about why he left home with what police describe as a kill kit and why he later moved the victims' bodies. Rumina Dea reports. During a third and final day of cross-examination, Crown confronted the accused, telling him he made a mistake. Daniel Mulligan says Rocky Rambo Wayne Cam went through a lot of trouble to drag the bodies of Diana Ma Jones and Richard Jones from the kitchen to the bathroom stall. Crown. The reason was to have Miss Ma Jones' hands in the water. You were aware that she scratched you when you were struggling with her and you wanted to have her hands in the water, correct? Accused. It's very unlikely. If I wanted to wash the DNA out of Mrs. Jones' hands, I don't believe moving their bodies to the shower is necessary. Crown, you made a mistake, obviously, because her left hand was not that wet. Vancouver police investigators ultimately discover a crucial piece of evidence. So when Mrs. Ma Jones went for her autopsy and had her fingernails clipped and there was a male DNA profile underneath her nails, well, we just knew we had to get your DNA and see if it matched the, the, the DNA under her fingernails. And guess what? It matches. I think it says something like 1 in 19 billion chance that it's not you. So that's impossible. It's you, and they have you on DNA. Rocky, it's over. Cam has admitted to killing the couple. The question is, was it first-degree murder, planned and deliberate? The accused, when I get out of my house, I have no thought as to killing some people. Crown, with your hatchet and your two knives and your gloves and your baseball hat? And shampoo, the accused laughs. Is that funny, says Crown? Cam responds, no, it's not funny. I don't understand why you keep suggesting otherwise. Crown asked Cam if any of his video games involved torturing victims. 
Cam said it would be considered immoral. The crux of defense's case is Cam was suffering from a mental disorder when he killed the couple and he thought he was in a video game. A psychologist is expected to take the stand Friday. Romina Dea, Global News. The talks are on pause and the provincial government is no closer to resolving the impasse over the coastal gasoline pipeline project. And today, RCMP indicated enforcement of an injunction related to the dispute is imminent. Keith Baldry joins us live with the details. And Keith, the company plans to ramp up construction any day now. What's going to happen here? Well, I think we're going to see a confrontation up there. Uh, things are coming to a head very rapidly today because, as you mentioned, talks had broken off. Uh, the, Premier Horgan had sent former MP Nathan uh, uh, Cullen up there to meet with hereditary chiefs. Uh, there had been some face-to-face meetings, uh, but nothing much came of it. I'm told that the chiefs were hoping the government were going to withdraw the permits, allowing the pipeline to be built. But considering the government supports the pipeline, that had no chance of succeeding. Today, uh, Indigenous Relations Minister Scott Fraser talked about the need for protecting public safety there. And the RCMP, and it's sort of an extraordinary move, held a news conference, didn't take questions, but laid out the fact that they have a plan to deal with this. And I think you're going to see the police move in fairly quickly. Here's the two of them. The primary concern right now is public safety uh, by all involved. And uh, we have agreed that that's a priority. Um, we did not achieve a uh, access protocol for, um, for, the, for the company, to, which was what the, the intent of the court order was. So uh, there, there may well be police action in the very near future. So we're, uh, we're concentrating on um, trying to make sure that's done as safely as possible. As enforcement of the injunction nears, we've assembled a team in the area. We encourage all of the protesters to abide by the injunction and leave the area, and they will not be arrested. So the RCMP today also saying they've got a plan that uh, arises from the previous clash with protesters last year. They say they will be using minimal force if they have to arrest people. Uh, they will not try to use handcuffs unless the, the circumstances warrant it. And they're also going to be videotaping whatever happens up there through body cams, uh, handheld cameras and aerial footage as well. They don't want to be accused of, of going overboard here. So the RCMP clearly has a plan that's much more substantive and different than the last time uh, there was a confrontation up there. And it could happen as early as tomorrow. Morning. All right, we'll see how it all unfolds. Keith, thank yeah. you. A number of people living in the Fraser Valley Regional District have been evacuated for much of the day after heavy rain left dozens of properties at risk of flooding. The evacuation order was in place for 27 properties between Hope and Yale. The order has since been lifted for all but one home. Catherine Urquhart has the latest on the local state of emergency and reaction from evacuees. 14 kilometers north of Hope, along the Trans-Canada Highway, a local state of emergency. Residents of 27 properties ordered out of their homes Tuesday night due to extensive flooding. We had uh, two feet of water in our yard. Our yard was buried uh, all throughout the yard, like uh, all along the backside, coming to the front, and then the basement had four feet of water. Impacted properties are on Dogwood Valley Road, Baker Road and Yurkin Road, along with Nickel Mine Road and the Trans-Canada Highway. All sit below a small lake and forested slope. They did some logging up the hill from where we live. And when they did the logging, because the trees are gone, so there's nowhere for the water to be absorbed. Wednesday afternoon, the evacuation order is rescinded for all homes except one but a local state of emergency remains in place. 
this would be obviously one of those areas that's been assessed and, and would be eligible for the, the disaster finance assistance program. A local state of emergency also remains in place in the Rockwell Bay community at Harrison Lake. Flooding and a landslide prompting the evacuation of 32 homes on Saturday. There was some blockage on the creek higher up and so it caused there to be a, a new river come down the mountain that wasn't in that spot before. A team for BC Housing will be on site assessing damaged homes. Road closures remain in place as crews do repairs. And for now, residents are advised against drinking their tap water. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In the meantime, there are still a lot of questions about the safety of the road to the Sasquatch Mountain Resort after a landslide stranded hundreds of people for days. People who regularly use that road say it's a miracle no one was killed by the washout. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, they are demanding the provincial government do something about it. It's passable, mostly. Pilot cars still guiding people up and down Hemlock Valley Road. People returning to get vehicles abandoned on the weekend, along with staff and guests at Sasquatch Resort. While crews work to get the road open and the slope stabilized, people who use the road regularly are fuming. This has been a problem for a long time. Um, and it always was this, okay, well, one day something bad's going to happen. One day, and that day happened. And on, like again, I'm just so thankful. You know, myself and my kids weren't there on the road, that no one else was hurt. The washouts happened Friday. A petition has now been launched to urge the government to take action and make the road safe. The Ministry of Transportation says it's willing to work with stakeholders for a long-term solution. But right now, the focus is getting the road open. And now, obviously, there's an assessment uh, needs to take place on exactly the, the state of the road and what needs to be done to, to fix it. Sasquatch Resort is thinking big. A massive investment in a four-season resort planned over the next 50 years. Hotels, new lifts, new housing. People wonder how all of that is possible with the road that's there now. You can barely handle sort of the traffic that's coming up now. And who's going to come up there when you know, the road is in the state that it's in. And, you know, best case scenario, maybe you blow a tire because you hit a pothole. Worst case scenario, you're killed. The ministry and the contractor hope to have things back to normal as soon as possible. At this point, normal doesn't quite seem good enough. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An Okanagan youth is facing some serious charges after apparently making threats to harm students and staff at a Kelowna school. Two campuses of Kelowna Christian School went into lockdown shortly after classes began this morning. Parents say the threat involved a shooting, but police have not confirmed that. Investigators tracked down the suspect and made an arrest about four hours after the lockdown began. Worried parents rushed to the school to make sure their kids were safe. I tried calling both the elementary and the high school and no one's answering, so I just came down here to see if I could get my elementary school student and all the doors are locked. A male youth who police describe as being from a neighboring community is facing possible charges of uttering threats and public mischief. A cruise for more than 3,700 people, including more than 250 Canadians, is going to last a lot longer than expected. The ship is quarantined off the coast of Japan after as many as 20 people on board tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Princess Cruises says the ship will remain under quarantine for 14 days. 
Meantime, Canadians hoping to leave Wuhan, China, are being warned to prepare for delays. More than 300 people have asked for Ottawa's help to get out, but the first repatriation flight only has room for just over 200 passengers. Ottawa says it secured spots for a few dozen Canadians on a U.S. evacuation flight, which will leave shortly after the Canadian flight on Friday. China says permanent residents will not be allowed to leave unless they are needed to accompany Canadian children. Well, China has become a major market for many B.C. products, but now the coronavirus outbreak and the resulting shutdown of many Chinese cities and industries is starting to have a domino effect here. As Brad McLeod reports, the impact is being felt not only in B.C. tourism, but in other sectors like the restaurant and seafood industries. Gooey duck, you ask? You may not know what it is, but B.C. could take a $50 million hit this year due to the novel coronavirus outbreak in China. The Chinese appetite for live seafood, like these large clams, and... The native Dungeness crab. ...usually brings in $200 million to our economy. But with a bust of a Lunar New Year, the industry is shuttered. There's no market in China because people are not going out for dinner, they're not spending money. And local Chinese restaurants are getting hit hard too. Minimum 30 to 70% of business are gone. What about BC wine exports? I think the coronavirus, it will have an effect. Allison Bolton has done business in China for 20 years, focusing on their preference for ice wines. She says many BC producers won't feel it quite yet because big Lunar New Year orders were out by December. And so people might not be looking to reorder until May. Air Canada has suspended all direct flights to Beijing and Shanghai for at least a month. So what about tourism in B.C.? Well, the capital city isn't too concerned. Tourism Victoria says only about 6% of tourists come from the Asia-Pacific area. But they already know of at least three Chinese tour cancellations. Tourism is still doing reasonably well. The Business Council of B.C. just released their latest economic forecast, saying it may be too soon to see the effect of coronavirus on tourism. And although SARS and novel corona are very different, SARS was the last virus to have an economic impact on our country. We never really recovered from the SARS virus. It may all depend on how well China contains corona. Once people are out and at restaurants and shopping, the infrastructure for trade and for goods to go back and forth, it's still there. It's ready to go. As for our fresh seafood industry... I think the next species to be affected would be spot prawns. Probably that doesn't open till May. So we have to hope that uh, things will be a little bit more settled by then. Brad McLeod, Global News. This partisan impeachment will mm. end today. This president just lies. Just lies. Not guilty. Bitter partisan divisions raw and on display in Washington as the U.S. Guilty. Senate votes against the impeachment of Donald Trump. That vote mostly along party lines, with one very notable exception. That's right. Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney voting guilty on the charge of abuse of power and delivering an emotional speech explaining why. Today, Senator Mitt Romney, once the Republican presidential nominee, stood as his party's lone voice against President Trump. Mr. Romney. Mr. Romney, guilty. Voting with Democrats in favor of convicting the president of abuse of power. My faith is at the heart of who I am. I take an oath before God as enormously consequential. 
I knew from the outset that being tasked with judging the president, the leader of my own party, would be the most difficult decision I have ever faced. I was not wrong. Romney, who did vote to acquit the president on the second article of impeachment, not guilty, became the first senator ever to vote to convict a president of their own party in an impeachment trial. What the president did was grievously wrong, and I had to vote if I was going to live with my own conscience. Romney's vote, a final turn away from his rocky relationship with the president, who endorsed Romney's 2012 presidential bid. But ahead of Mr. Trump's election in 2016, Romney denounced him, igniting a firestorm. Donald Trump is a phony, a fraud. You can see how loyal he is. He was begging for my endorsement. The two appeared to make amends when Romney was rumored to be in the running to be Trump's secretary of state, a job Romney didn't get. Two years later, winning a Senate seat. Tonight, voting his conscience over his party. With my vote, I will tell my children and their children that I did my duty to the best of my ability, believing that my country expected it of me. Turkey is in mourning tonight after two avalanches killed at least 38 people. Most of the victims were killed by the second slide while trying to save people from the first one. Eight people have so far been rescued, but dozens of first responders from the first avalanche are still missing. About 300 rescuers were on scene when the second avalanche hit. People desperately using shovels and even their bare hands digging in the deep snow for any signs of life. A number of vehicles were found buried. Turkey also has reason to be thankful tonight after a minor miracle in the city of Istanbul. A passenger jet slid off a runway, breaking into pieces and exploding into flames. And while at least three people died, it could have been much, much worse. It came in so hard that the force of skidding off the runway split the plane into pieces. The front of the fuselage not only ripped away, but flipped upside down. Dramatic initial pictures showed not a single emergency worker in sight. The passengers became first responders, helping the walking wounded make their way out of the cracks. CCTV footage caught the moment the plane landed in stormy weather until it seemed disappearing off the edge. CBS News obtained this audio from the control tower. The Pegasus flight, a Boeing 737, had 177 passengers and six crew on board, children reportedly among them. Just a month ago, another Pegasus plane came off a runway at the same airport. Before investigators question how it could have happened again, a more positive question emerges tonight, how so many managed to survive. Charlie Daggett, CBS News, London. In California, a huge fire at an auto wrecking yard is sending plumes of thick black smoke over San Diego. The flames were first reported this afternoon and the fire has been burning through large stacks of vehicles. The area is lined with auto wrecking and recycling yards and fires are not uncommon. They pose a particular challenge for firefighters who spend long hours putting out the flames and then use heavy equipment to look for hotspots. More than one million Canadians have been diagnosed with an eating disorder and at least two million more have suffered through the symptoms. So for National Eating Disorder Awareness Week happening this week, the focus is on prevention. Linda Aylesworth reports. In the beginning, Jesse Alexander was a ray of light. Smart, vibrant, athletic, had loads of friends. Uh, her younger brother and sister idolized her. 
But at the age of 12, that changed. She became depressed, and her eating behaviors became disordered. This is when we were in New York. She was really badly into it there. She was stealing food from restaurants, stuffing herself. Sometimes bulimic, other times anorexic, Jessie was a very sick young woman. She'd say, I'm not allowed to eat. I'm punishing myself. I'm not allowed to eat. And you just, it's so irrational. It's not something I'd wish on any other parent. Uh, Our daughter uh, succumbed to an eating disorder about 18 years ago now. Once eating disorders become entrenched, uh, they're very complex disorders, and so that becomes, can be quite challenging to treat. Which is why this year's Eating Disorders Awareness Week is focusing on prevention. It's never been more important because unhealthy eating behaviors are on the rise. 11% of boys and 14% of girls admit to having intentionally vomiting after a meal. One reason, the additional bombardment of perfect body images on social media. So I think with this increase of um, opportunities to compare ourselves, we're seeing more unhealthy weight control behaviors. Early intervention is critical because children form preferences for certain body shapes as early as three years of age. And so prevention starts at home. Being cautious uh, of commenting on other people's bodies and really demonstrating an acceptance of body diversity can go a very long way. You can learn more at jessieslegacy.com. Basically, we wanted something to make a difference. Jessie had always said when she got well, she wanted to help other people not fall into this trap of eating disorder. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Also in Health Matters tonight, we first introduced you to 11-year-old Brody as part of Variety Week last fall. Brody deals with many challenges every day. He's visually impaired, he suffers from epilepsy and cerebral palsy, and he relies on a wheelchair for mobility. Variety has helped to provide Brody with a new power wheelchair. He's been taking driving lessons to help him achieve the independence he wants at home, in the community, and at school. Inclusion is really important for not just Brody, but for all the other children to be able to understand that, you know, everybody is an individual and they all have their own needs and quirks. And um, but now he's able to get right in there and be included. Well, the 54th annual Show of Hearts Telethon is live this Sunday from 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And you can call in with your donations or you can visit Variety's website, variety.bc.ca. All people from all cultures will be in Tokyo for the Summer Games. How organizers are making sure they all feel welcome with an Olympic first. That's right after the forecast. Very interesting. Okay, let's check in with Yvonne Schell, who's in for Christy right now. It seems like we dodged a bit of a bullet yesterday without too much snow here, at least in Burnaby. But, uh, yeah, there's still some moisture on the radar there. Yeah, now it's falling as rain. Temperatures have warmed up. We had a range anywhere between 10 to 15 for many spots across Metro Vancouver. But there were a few higher elevations that were pushing closer to 20 centimeters. Right now, we do just have a little wave of moisture that is moving in towards the west end. We can see it in towards the Fraser Valley. But temperatures have bumped up. It'll continue to fall as rain over the next couple of days. And we do have another wave that is going to move in overnight and through the morning hours. It picks up once again, heavy at times. So for the morning, Q, 
commute tomorrow, we will start to see that rain developing and continuing through the day. A bit of a gap, especially approaching the evening. So tomorrow, cloud cover, and then the next wave is going to move in on Friday, but it'll be falling as rain. A heads up, though, we still have a significant amount of snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes. First off, the range that we're seeing for rainfall totals taking us in towards Friday, anywhere between 20 and potentially up to 30 millimeters. We'll continue to track that. And then a much-needed break is going to kick in for our Saturday and the latter half of the weekend. We do have snowfall continuing this evening and through the day tomorrow. The higher amounts will be along the connector with up to 20 centimeters. The Coquihalla and the Allison Pass from Hope to Princeton, a snowfall warning has been issued with over 30 centimeters of snow continuing through the day. So a heads up if you are traveling along any of the mountain passes and Whistler with two and up to four centimeters. It'll change over from flurries to showers inland for areas near Terrace, so not much in terms of accumulation. Most areas for the northeastern corners of the province tomorrow, a break is on the way, and the southern half. So the mountain pass is seeing snowfall through the day. Lower elevations could change over to rain and across the south coast. We'll see heavy rain for the morning hours, a bit of a break towards the evening, soggy over the next couple of days. A much-needed break is going to push in Saturday, especially for Sunday. The latter half, a touch cooler, but it'll be dry over the weekend. Tonight's weather window is a fantastic shot that was taken of the sunrise a couple of days ago by John. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, the upcoming Summer Olympics in Tokyo will feature a first-of-its-kind facility for thousands of athletes, officials, and fans. Check it out. It's a specially built mobile mosque that will give Muslims a place to pray at venues where there's no prayer room. The back of the modified truck can be widened in just seconds, and the vehicle also includes Arabic signage and outdoor water taps for pre-worship cleaning. Way to make everybody feel welcome, Tokyo. So can you believe it's been 10 years? It's a bit of a shocker that, that it's means gone by that fast. 10 years older, but forget about that <laughs> part. We look no different, same, except same. for the clothes. No, I, that's it. Really? You wore that 10 years ago? <laughs> a little less hair here and there. <laughs> yeah. There's gray under here. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> More hair. Uh, all that is to uh, say and promote that we're going to have special coverage, of course. Is it starting next week? Yeah, starting next week. Well, 12th is the 10th anniversary. So uh, starting on the 12th, we're going to have some stories that you haven't heard before. These were kind of stories we tried to dig up. There were kind of the stories behind the Olympics uh, that, that we think you're going to really enjoy. So that starts next week. We're doing the story behind the story behind the story. <laughs> All right, Squire is here now, having just tripped over my seat to get to his. Well, your seat's a lot bigger than most people's. Well, I, I need leg room. I understand that. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, I know times have changed in the NHL. You don't see as much rough stuff unless Calgary and Edmonton are playing. The days of having a tough guy in your team are over. However, when you see someone like Elias Pettersson get hit the way he did last night by Matt Grizzlick in Boston, and no one does anything about it, it does make you yearn for the days of Gino Ogic, whose very presence was kind of like a nuclear deterrent for the Canucks for anyone who thought of taking runs at one of their stars. Here is what happened. And watch how Pettersson gets rid of the puck here. This should at least have been interference. That could easily have been an injury. But Pedersen luckily survived this smack into the boards. Now, the lack of a penalty and the fact this has happened before to Pedersen led head coach Travis Green to have a bit of a moment in the post-game press conference when he was asked why there was no penalty on the play. So frustrated with that. 
This guy's one of the best young players in the league. Um, and he gets hit, and he's totally defenseless. Or defend, he's got, you know, it's two seconds after the after he lets go of the puck. I've watched it a couple times, and he feels like there's no way he's going to get hit in that spot. He's in a vulnerable position. Those are hit the, the hits that the league is trying to get out of the game, especially against top top young guys, top players in the league. And I think Petey's shown that he's one of those guys. And it is frustrating for me as a coach to see some of the abuse he takes. That, where he doesn't get called and he's, he works through it, he's, he gets frustrated. I would agree with you on that. All right, next week should be a lot happier. The Sedins, Jersey retirement. I should say uh, before the Wednesday game against Chicago, a lot of old Canucks are going to be there, mm-hmm. both management and players. I think they'll have Brian Burke and Mike Gillis in the same building at the same time. And uh, there'll be legends everywhere. The only thing is next week, Pavel Bure couldn't make it in the town. Apparently he had something to do. You had to help somebody move. All right, Leafs and Rangers tonight, and Michael Hutchinson, the pressure is on with uh, Frederick Anderson hurt in Toronto. And you can't really blame him for that goal by Philip Heedle. But then the Rangers scored two and six seconds. It's Mika Zibanejad. And then right off the faceoff, Chris Kreider goes right in and scores. And the Rangers are leading this one 4-2 in the third period. Big night for the Giants last night. It was record-setting. They were taking on the Tri-City Americans, and the Giants scored a dozen. A 12-4 win. 17 different skaters found their way onto the score sheet. 12 of them had multiple point games. The Giants' four straight win. They seem to be getting it together now. Five-game homestand will continue Saturday when they host Prince George. All right. Vancouver Whitecaps have a new dark uniform for 2020. They will still use the white 1979 throwback jerseys they had last year with the hoop on it. But when they aren't wearing white, which you of course shouldn't after Labor Day, they'll have the new wave uniforms. Let's take a look at what the best dressed Whitecap will be wearing this season. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what I wanted to show you. Forget that. How did that get in there? Anyway, take my word for it. It looks nice. It's dark blue. It's got waves on it. It says Bell. It's amazing. How did that happen? Anyway. I saw that in the system earlier. I should have warned you. I'm confused. But anyway, <laughs> the uniform looks great. New York Yankees the pitcher. The guy was wearing? The random guy? No, that guy. His uniform okay. was really good. Okay. New York Yankees pitcher James Paxton, who is from Ladner, won't be pitching until May or June because of back surgery he had today. He needed to have a cyst removed, ouch, and also fix a herniated disc. He had a great 2019 with the Yankees. He was 15-6. and six. He signed a one-year, $12.5 million deal with New York in the offseason. Oh, and I wanted to mention New Westminster's Justin Morneau, an American League MVP at one time, great Minnesota twin, is now going to be in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. So good for Justin Morneau. Canada's women's soccer team is now just one win away from qualifying for this year's Olympic Games in Tokyo. All they have to do is beat Costa Rica in the semifinals and they'll be in. And the uh, good news is Canada has never lost to Costa Rica, 13-0 all time. And in this tournament, this CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament, Canada's outscored the opposition so far 22-0. So it looks good. Of course, the Canadians have won a couple of bronze medals in the last two Olympic Games. And two BC players who won bronze in 2012 were named to Canada's Soccer Hall of Fame. Former keeper... 
Karina LeBlanc, who played 18 years for Canada, five-time World Cup participant, and Brittany Timko-Baxter, number 17, a midfielder who played in three World Cups for Canada. All right, the Raptors are rolling. They're taking on the Indiana Pacers tonight in Toronto, but a huge second quarter for the Pacers. Justin Holiday with the alley-oop there. Then he tees up a three-pointer. He had three of those in a row. And the last we checked, the Raptors are losing 117-106 in the, uh, that says final, but it should be fourth quarter. There you go. All right, thanks. I wish I could have shown you the uniform. but You described uh, it so well, though. It's blue. Paint a picture. over. I mean, it's, is that blue? This is blue. It's darker than that, and it says Bell and Whitecaps on it. It's very good. I don't even need to see it. All right, there you go. You can see it online. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight. Whistler Blackcomb with 6 new centimetres, 13 for Grouse, Cypress 25 and Sasquatch 9. 25 new centimetres for Manning Park, Revelstoke 5, Fernie 1 and Kicking Horse 3. 11 new centimetres for Big White, 2 for Silver Star, 6 for Sun Peaks and Apex 53. Mount Washington 3 new centimetres, 10 for Whitewater, 4 for Red Mountain and 42 new centimetres for Powder King. Coming up on ET Canada, Haley Baldwin opens up about her marriage with the Beebs. Plus, we have TV previews of MacGyver and the new Supernatural series Lock and Key. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks, Cheryl. Well, he was one of the original Hollywood tough guys. And appropriately, he lived to the age of 103. Kirk Douglas died today, his passing confirmed by his son, Michael. Global's Eric Sorensen takes a look back on his long and legendary career. Poor little Martha. In his very first movie, Hollywood recognized Kirk Douglas would be a star. I can't get up and speak before people. Not only could he speak, don't threaten me. His edgy, impassioned portrayals saw him quickly cast alongside Hollywood heavyweights. Your hands are sweating. When you pull the trigger, your finger will slip. Born Isur Danielovich Dembski to Russian immigrants, Douglas could play it light or musical. But he was usually tough and temperamental. Playing a troubled boxer brought him his first Oscar nomination. You're going to be a good little girl. Because if you aren't, I'll put you in the hospital for a long, long time. Now go on home, all of you. With steel jaw, raspy voice, and undeniable charisma, his explosive characters were riveting. How do you know how I feel about you? How deep it goes? I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! His most famous role was Spartacus, a slave who leads a revolt against the corrupt Roman Empire. The epic cemented Douglas's place among Hollywood's most respected actors. But making Spartacus was also a turning point in 1950s America. Douglas helped end the era of blacklisting Hollywood talent for alleged communist sympathies. Real-life drama brought to film years later. Dalton. When Kirk Douglas insisted blacklisted writer Dalton Trumbull be given an on-screen credit for Spartacus. But there's a good story in there, somewhere. That Douglas's character was instantly recognizable 60 years later was a reminder of how familiar he was. That him again. In their heyday, impressionists all did Kirk Douglas because the whole world knew him and his acting style of barely contained rage. See, Dick, grab. Douglas loved it. 
To say he had a long career is an understatement. My wife works a lot with cancer research. Even approaching 100, he was still active with many charities. His legacy includes his son, Michael Douglas, himself a famous actor. And I'll say it simply and with all my heart. I'm so proud to be your son. One of the last stars from Hollywood's golden era. Moviegoers knew what they were getting in a Kirk Douglas film, and they loved what they got from Kirk Douglas. Eric Sorensen, Global News. Amazing stuff. The Final what? Countdown. That's what, that's what you remember? Yeah, he was in that movie, The Final the Countdown. First. Planet of the Apes. Yeah. That was Heston. Oh, different guy. Different, different controlled Heston. rage. Heston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same era. Yeah. All right. That's too bad. Another tough guy. Yeah, another tough guy. But he'd have been guy. good in that role, too. He yeah, he would have been. been. Totally. Yeah. He would have been. That was, a, that, was, that was a great role for him. All right, quick word on the weather. Uh, we are looking at rain uh, developing overnight, heavy at times, Thursday, Friday. Some nice breaks will kick in late day Saturday, sunshine for Sunday. Oh, we need those breaks. Yes. I'll never pick Hollywood on Jeopardy. We'll be back <laughs> tomorrow. Have a good night. <laughs>